I am Marlon Jones, the Career Skills Architect, and this is View from the Big Chair Podcast, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss. The purpose of this podcast is to share information with students in sports administration programs and with young professionals and those who are underemployed in sports administration. We talk with guests who sit in the big chair, those persons who are directors of athletics, who are head coaches, commissioners, or directors of different areas within athletic administration. We learn from their journey, and we also learn what skill sets they look for when they are hiring for positions so that you know how to prepare so that you can get to your own big chair. On this week's podcast, View from the Big Chair, Examining the Cost to Be the Boss, our guest is Terrence Jones, who serves as the Assistant Athletic Director for External Operations and Stadium Management at Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi. Thank you so much for joining us, Terrence. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Terrence, walk our listeners through your career journey. Wow. Okay. Um, so uh, my career, uh, believe it or not, actually started in, in the United States Marine Corps. Um, from there, um, I was able to, to learn and, and pick up a few things that, that have pretty much followed me uh, the rest of my life, um, leaving uh, the Marine Corps and then uh, working a little bit um, as a volunteer for the USO, uh, the MWR program. Uh, they, they were based out of Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, so that's kind of where my love for recreation and, and sport and, and everything as a profession really began. Um, and then from there, um, I uh, began working and, you know, trying to figure out what, what life really had in store for me uh, after leaving the Marine Corps. Um, and then uh, I began to go to school, uh, going to school and you know, picking up the trades and everything. Sport was still kind of in the back of my mind, though, to be honest with you, I actually was a nursing major uh, in the very beginning. So a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily uh, think of me as a nurse, but uh, I actually uh, became a certified medical assistant and and I was exploring uh, the possibility about being a nurse. Uh, But then uh, at the time I was in the DC, Maryland area. So I kind of found out what out-of-state tuition was. and found myself um, back in North Carolina. At the time, uh, I had a a baby sister actually running track at uh, North Carolina Central. Um, So after exploring, you know, my options uh, of schools, I was like, man, it'd be cool, you know, to kind of go to school with my my baby sister. So um, I was able to enroll. um, And there, because I had some uh, some type of uh, background as it related to recreation, I was able to quickly get acclimated and, and pick up a job over in the campus recreation department at the time working for uh, Coach Vaughn. And, um, you know, after working there and at that time going to school, uh, I was able to eventually pick up an internship in the athletic department. And it just felt like that I would never work another day in my life because I just knew 
that that's what I wanted to do. That was my passion. It was kind of a full circle moment because initially uh, when I was entering the university, I encountered a lady by the name of Lued and Ms. Harris. And she was um, my admissions counselor who actually admitted me into the university. And then lo and behold, I end up in this internship and guess who I'm, I'm working with again, Luann and Ms. Harris. So it just took off from there. I mean, I think maybe I was a weekend and she immediately make, made a recommendation. She said, you're never leaving. You, you're going to stay here with us. So um, things just kind of blossomed and grew from there. Um, the good thing about working in Dr. Ingrid Wickham McCree's shop is that she's always going to find a way to pour into you. Now, we were doing a lot at the time, but she saw something in me and saw enough of me um, that she allowed me to also go over and do some work when I wasn't working on campus over at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, and as I was doing all that, you know, eventually, you know, time just flies by. I mean, we're talking about rolling from 2006. And before you know it, I mean, we're right around 12, 13, 14. Um, and then an opportunity became available uh, to take another step in leadership uh, at Delaware State. So going up to Delaware State, to be honest with you, I really love uh, love the area uh, there. I was working with now the AD at North Carolina Central, Skip Perkins. Um, and, but uh, Delaware State was really nice. I was maybe about 25 minutes from the beach, so that's always good. Um, but an opportunity became available to be on the um, executive leadership staff over at Alabama State. Um, and in doing so, um, I got to work um, with, with someone that I admired in the profession for quite some time, and, and Jennifer Lynn Williams. And um, we, we, have a very, we have a very storied past uh, because we actually met uh, when I was in grad school um, at uh, North Carolina Central. And we always promised ourselves, you know, between papers and everything else, hey, one day, if we ever get the opportunity, we're going to work together. And uh, we were able to do that. We won a bunch of championships. Um, it was a, a really good time. But uh, as all good things happen, they always come to an end. Um, she was able to move on, and she's doing big things for USA Basketball. Uh, I was able to reconnect with her last week at the Final Four, um, where she put on a development event that was second to none, um, and it was really good. Um, but along th that way, I, I met a gentleman also by the name of Ashley Robinson, who is a recruiter within his own right <laughs> and has done some amazing, amazing things um, here at Jackson State. Um, and the opportunity kind of presented itself for he and I to work together because uh, we'd, we'd always been friends and always stayed in good contact with each other. And we would always compete, um, you know, with us being at a, a sister institution. So he said, man, one day I'm going I'm to I'm talk you away from Jennifer and I'm going to get you to come work for me. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of the short of, of how I ended up at the I Love Jackson State. And, and I'm here and we're getting things going and I'm really excited about what the future holds. Now, I want to back up just a minute because you mentioned the USOMWR. Tell yep. our non-Marine Corps persons what that stands for. Um, so... The, the, the USO um, and, and the MWR, so um, if my memory serves me correctly, it's the United Ser uh, Services Organization um, and the uh, Marine Corps uh, Wellness and Recreation um, Association, basically. And what they do is they do events home and abroad, um, 
I, I also uh, know a couple of other people that were able to do some things and end up overseas doing it. But basically, it's about the morale and and the welfare uh, of Marines and 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 soldiers and sailors that they encounter. And um, they basically put on programming, recreational opportunities. Sometimes you see concerts that may happen overseas, um, comedy shows that may happen overseas uh, for some of our troops that are away from their families and things of the like. And then even when I was in, um, you know, it, it was more about uh, using certain types of technology to kind of keep everybody in contact with their families and, and everything. And um, they, they're doing uh, yeoman's work uh, with those organizations because um, they're really just kind of keeping the welfare and the morale up of, of the troops and everybody that may be serving, whether they be home or abroad, or regardless of uh, if they're at sea or not as well. You started in campus recreation. Describe mm -hmm. the different professional opportunities that are available in recreation. Um, when you begin to, to think about recreation, recreation um, is a really strong gateway and it's, it's really vast. Um, for those that don't know, when I was uh, at North Carolina Central and in a lot of campuses pretty much around the country, recreation is a component of uh, student affairs. Um, so when you open yourself up for that, you kind of can touch other things within that respective department. Mm -hmm. But uh, student affairs as a whole, I, I would say out of any college student's experience, they spend more time touching the folks in student affairs than anywhere else. And in working in recreation, I mean, um, people, after they've had a long day in the classroom and everything else, they want to let off some steam. So, you know, we, they do everything from swimming to biking, hiking, like all types of things. Um, and you'll become a person that they're very familiar with um, uh, along the way. So um, from recreation, you really... Uh, whatever your passion is, whatever you want to do, if it's advancing in recreation administration, coming over to the athletic side, the athlete, coming over to athletics seems seamless for me because I was doing the exact same thing in a lot of instances that I was doing uh, over in the recreation field, marketing, program development, setting up programs, breaking down programs, um, forecasting, budgeting, all of those things kind of uh, fall within that wheelhouse. Now, what skill sets are important to develop to be successful in recreation administration? Um, I would say uh, the key um, component to being successful in recreation is being a good communicator. Um, I believe uh, that um, sometimes, you know, weather gets in the way, all types of things can happen or throw a wrinkle, whether you're using a, a multi-use facility where somebody may have had something rented and you maybe double book, all those things. It all goes back to communication. Um, that's one of the things that Coach Vaughn, he really, really was very strong about um, as he would teach us things um, in, in the recreation field is, you know, sometimes things go good, sometimes things go bad, but you have to be ready not only to pivot, but you, you have to find ways to uh, make sure that everybody um, is on the same page and everybody knows uh, what that, that page is as you uh, try to, you know, get your events and everything done. Sports cannot be successful without fans. And you have extensive experience developing the overall fan experience. Can you describe two of your most successful promotions and why they work so well? Yes, uh, I'll, I'll go with two. Uh, one uh, will be uh, pre-COVID, 
um, and want to be a post-COVID because uh, I think COVID is something that's going to be a part of our history for quite some time. So um, I'll, I'll take it back to uh, some of my junior administrator years. Um, we were having a fan apathy uh, as it related to uh, getting people to attend volleyball games at one point. Um, so one of the things uh, that I was able to put together and implement is called uh, dig into something sweet. Um, and what that was, uh, we connected with our local Ben and Jerry's um, who came out. Now, normally our volleyball games would take place right as the cafeteria was closing. So we wanted to kind of capitalize on something that would kind of draw in students. So uh, we were able to do that. They gave away uh, 200 uh, free scoops on the spot, and then they gave away another 200 coupons to come to their storefront. Um, so that that's what the partnership really was about, generating foot traffic for them, also getting people to uh, attend our games. And that's a promotion that, that we had to keep up every year because people really were excited about it and, and they really wanted to come. And not to mention that ice cream was really great. Ice cream is good. Um, the next one, post-COVID, um, we really looked at the totality uh, when I was at Alabama State of the student experience and how it affected our students having to deal with COVID. So um, Jennifer and I, we're, we're at lunch uh, one day and we're talking and we're like, look, you know, we didn't have an end of year school banquet last year. And normally our school banquet, our kids really, really enjoyed and loved that school banquet. So she said, we got to give them something. So we were talking and just kind of working through some things. And I think it just became an aha moment. So uh, what Jennifer and I used to do all the time prior to uh, COVID, we would always go to Coachella. So we said, well, hold on now. We may be on to something. How about we try to put together an event that is very similar to Coachella, obviously without being Coachella. So, um, you know, in our you know, an in-house uh, brand, we called it Stingcella because we were the Hornets. And um, ultimately, we were able to uh, book Rick Ross to come perform for our student athletes. Um, we had our uh, award ceremony that they so love and everything just went really good. And we always uh, culminated our event by having the end of your video play, uh, which would showcase highlights throughout uh, the whole season. So that's still popular to this day. Uh, at Alabama State, and I, I hope it still holds true, uh, you know, years down the road. That's great. Now, conversely, what's a fan promotion that didn't work and why? I think um, a fan promotion that may not have, have, have gone off um, the way we anticipated Um I'm trying to think of a really good one off the top of my head. I think uh, one of the ones that 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 I had that that really didn't go well um, was my first year um, at Alabama State. It was the military appreciation piece. Um, it was a lot of moving parts, a lot of constituents, um, but. I, I feel like that somewhere along the line, you know, the communication could have been a little bit stronger in some parts. Um, everybody wanted to have a piece of it, and um, but there were no clearly defined roles. Um, and, and when you run into a situation where you have a lot of people involved, 
but don't have clearly defined roles. It's the equivalent to starting CPR. You, the first thing you have to do, you have to look at someone, point at someone, and say, hey, go call 911. Uh, and if you know that person's name, obviously say that name uh, so that they know that you're talking to them. And I felt like in my calling on 911, I did not point at someone and um, actually say that I needed them to, to call help. Gotcha. Now, as the Deputy Director of Athletics at Alabama State, you in that number two chair and you oversaw external operations. Tell mm-hmm. our listeners all the different areas that are encompassed in external operations. Right. So the, the first thing um, in, in putting that together is uh, definitely had uh, HR responsibilities. Um, I was the direct, uh, direct liaison to uh, all of our HR operations. Um, for those that, that may not necessarily be familiar with that, um, athletics uh, probably does on any college campus um, more hiring and releasing of staff um, than any other part of the university. So you have to have somebody that knows what the, the uh, procedures are, um, have to know your uh, faculty staff and your employee handbook inside and out, and also uh, have to be able to have relationships across campus to move things rather quickly sometimes as they become an emergency. So that was a, a chief component of my responsibilities. I was also um, responsible and oversaw all of um, the front-facing pieces of the university. So our marketing, um, our uh, some of our fundraising efforts, um, our um, SID department, um, all of those things. And the SID is the sports information uh, department who handles you know, some of your social stuff, but we also had a, a creative design uh, director. So um, I oversaw that role as well. That's in addition to um, managing and working with your some of your coaches in a sports oversight role, uh, which essentially uh, you are the eyes and ears of that particular sport. Um, in addition to that, um, I also uh, serve um, as a, a liaison uh, there's certain uh, fundraising committees, marketing committee uh, committees of the university, in addition to overseeing our uh, athletic ticketing piece, um, as well as uh, our, our game day uh, situation. When you recruited and hired staff members and coaches, what were the qualities that made a candidate stand out and be offered an interview? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, off the top of my head, there were three things that really um, stood out to us as we evaluated uh, persons who, who we would invite to join us on our team. Uh, the first thing that, that we look for um, is a winning attitude. Um, you, you have to have that winning attitude um, and, and you have to understand the components that it takes to not only win, uh, but to be successful in winning and consistently win. Uh, the next thing we looked at um, we, we looked at how coachable uh, were those individuals. Uh, everything's not going to always go the way that you anticipate it going. How, um, when times are not good, how apt are you to listen uh, to sometimes some stringent feedback um, and, and make proper corrections in order to, um, you know, get your program where you want it to be. And, and third, but certainly not last, uh, we look for people who had a commitment to connecting, uh, connecting with our student athletes, connecting with our university, connecting with our community, 
Um, that's very, very important. Anybody that knows anything about Montgomery, Alabama, um, it's really big on family and community. And um, if, if we had people uh, who either tended to be uh, more introverted in that particular regard or didn't have people around them that could be extroverted, um, it, it kind of made for, you know, some some different type of scenarios. But um, those, those would be the things that, that I would look at in, in bringing on a team member. And what skills did you find lacking in those people that you couldn't offer interviews? Um, sometimes I think uh, it was a, a situation of um, people needing um, a little bit more experience in what they were trying to interview for. Um, not saying that they didn't have other experiences, but sometimes um, it, it's about uh, how specific you're trying to be and, and, and how technical a particular role is. You may have some of the, the KPIs, but you may not necessarily hit all of the KPIs. And, and in those particular roles, we may have needed everybody to hit all of the KPIs. Um, another thing is if they weren't good, good communicators. Um, uh, and then uh, thirdly is uh, how people would prioritize or break down certain scenarios that we would give them um, you, you have to know how to prioritize, delegate, and, and do the things that are needed a lot of time in order to move your program forward. Not necessarily saying that we need you to do everything, but you need to know how to delegate and how to call on other people as needed to make that happen. And that's a, a work of art within itself. And a KPI is? A key, uh, a key performance indicator. Uh, basically, as you look at a job description, it'll be uh, listed out as, um, you know, particular duties or specifics. And, um, you know, they're captured and relating back to a goal. KPIs relate back to goals. What then makes a candidate stand out in the actual interview itself? Um, to be honest with you, energy. Um, we, we really were big on energy, um, how they presented themselves. Um, how they took responsibility um, if, if things did not go as planned um, and owned up to that. Um, people that that were open and, and teachable and approachable and vulnerable in some sense. Um, I think a lot of times people get in interviews and they just act like they they either know everything or have done everything. Tell me how you want to get better. Um, ultimately is what I'm looking for. I want somebody who feels like that we have something to offer that can enhance them. Um, and, and when you do that, they're, they're more than likely to get something out of the position that they're called to serve. If, if anybody is in athletics for money, I think you're in the wrong business because at the end of the day, it's not a, a get rich quick scheme. It's really about the love that you have for sport and educating those student athletes through sport. When you look back at the persons who were promoted, what qualities did they possess that made them stand out over their peers? Um, people who took initiative always uh, get promoted uh, pretty fast. People who always have a knack and, and, and an uncanny ability to always want to learn new things. Some would call it cross-training or um, in-service. They would really, really uh, take notes and, and be keen on that. People who listen and uh, have a very strong attention to detail uh, stand out. And those uh, that hate 
uh, losing as much as they love winning. Hate losing. That's, hate that's, losing. You gotta hate losing. You gotta hate it. Gotta hate. You gotta it. hate it. You anytime you get comfortable with winning, I mean, anytime you get comfortable with losing, um, you're you're bound to uh, go down a, a road that people will be okay with losing. So at all costs, you know, you might not win everyone, but you need to learn something from that loss and try to make yourself better as a result. You help to manage over 65 staff persons. How do young professionals develop supervisory skill sets before they actually have an opportunity to supervise people? Um, I think the best thing to do is uh, uh, age-old adage where uh, people would, would tell people all the time, and, and sometimes I wonder if people really listen to it, you have to be a great follower. You have to be a great follower because it takes, um, in a way, it takes a, a humbling of yourself to be able to follow someone and to really try to do a good job at being a good follower. Um, from there, you always learn something, whether good or bad, on when, when the mantle of leadership is passed on to you, how you would particularly go about that situation. That's where the experience is, being a good follower, because a lot of times you're going to pick up tidbits that uh, the people that are in charge are doing. And at that particular point as being a follower, you have some risk and you have some things at stake, but not as much as that person that's leading at the time. So that is your opportunity to experiment a little bit, learn a little bit, listen a lot of it and, you know, and, and try to make yourself and kind of shape yourself into the best possible leader you can. So at the point where you do pick up some supervisory skills and things that are like on whatever level it would be, you'll, you'll be ready for that. Alabama state was extremely successful in competition during your tenure there and success usually follows strategic planning. We mm -hmm. read about strategic planning a lot. But what does it look like on a daily basis? Um, what it looks like on a daily basis is uh, personal uh, group and team accountability. Um, I think with the communication piece, that's all well and good. Um, but sometimes you may have a breakdown in communication and, and sometimes you may need to over communicate on certain things. But at the end of the day, I think what tied us all together is that we held each other accountable. Um, you know, there will be some days that, you know, that things go great and it'll be some days where we have room for improvement. But I think with us being accountable to each other and uh, everybody holding each other accountable, we knew what the end goal was. And the end goal for all of us was if you take care of your business in your particular sport, you help us achieve our ultimate goal of winning a commissioner's cup. And the coaches that we coach took that literally and personally and were accountable to that. And at times where we felt like that we were straying off the path or going the wrong way with that, it was able to kind of steer us back in line and just all focus on that one goal. And we were extremely um, lucky, blessed, and grateful that we, we were always able to, to bring home the trophies. And what must an organization do to win that Commissioner's Cup? Well, you know, when you win that Commissioner Cup, uh, that means that you're the best of the best in, in your particular conference. Um, and that means that you have the highest point total among all of your sports. Uh, every sport that you compete in, are you competing for points? 
Um, and even the ones where you may not necessarily win the championship, you still got to compete as hard as you can because you want to beat out your sister institution and gain as many points as you can. So, you know, in some instances, maybe the top four would achieve the highest marks. And then, you know, the next sport you may win. And, and whoever won that one where you were in the top four may fall six. That's an opportunity to gain more points. Uh, so at the end of the day, um, you know, you just have that step up. And then on top of that, the more sports you sponsor that the conference sponsors, um, you give yourself a chance to get points too. So, you know, for example, um, you know, if Jackson State is missing two or three sports, but Alabama State had all of the sports that the conference sponsored, you automatically have a leg up day one. So the goal at that point is just don't let, you know, another sister institution beat you out to those points because when it all gets tallied up, somebody's going to miss out on points by not having those particular sports. While you were at Alabama State, your ticket sales generated over $1 million a year. Mm -hmm. How did you make that happen? It was a total team effort, to be completely honest with you. Um, we had game operations meetings. Um, we had a core team, and a core team were, were um, the group of decision makers in, in respective departments across campus. And we would just uh, make very strong pushes uh, to make that happen. Now, uh, with that being said, um, just to give a little bit of history about it all, the, Southwest, the Southwestern Athletic Conference has held uh, the highest FCS football attendance, I would say, probably for the last two decades. Um, so you already are heavyweight in the game. Um, but uh, just looking at what we were doing specifically at Alabama State, we played classics. Uh, we played games that our fans really, really wanted to see, um, and they really bought into that. Season ticket sales went up. Um, interest in the programs went up and, you know, the more you win, the more people want to be associated with winning. Um, so it, it, it was kind of an easy deal. Um, you know, the Magic City Classic kind of stands on its own uh, over in Birmingham. Um, and, you know, just that ultimate goal of trying to get to the Celebration Bowl, everybody wanted to be a part of that. So um, it, it kind of got a little easier along the way. I think being organized and when you start your – season ticket renewals and your, your um, regular season ticket sales and all that, that that's a work of art as well because you have to hit everything at the right time even while you're competing in other sports. What skill sets do young professionals need to be successful in ticket sales? Um, you, you have to be okay with being told no a lot. Um, you have to um, find ways to... Um, convince people um, that that they want to be a part of your experience. Um, I think the best thing that we can do a lot of times is make sure that our experience is favorable. Uh, your teams may not always have the season that you believe that they should have, uh, but at the end of the day, if people come and they enjoy the experience and they're bringing their families to the experience and they want to be a part of that, that's something that would possibly and potentially tie them over until you're back in the win columns, the way that you you envision. But it's really, really driven into the customer service that people provide because people will always talk to people. Uh, the best advertisement, a lot of times, is going to be word of mouth. And then people are, are going to find ways to uh, become a part of whatever family 
uh, environment that you're trying to put together. When we worked together at North Carolina Central University, you were an intern and you worked your way up to a full-time position. What specific things did you do to make the athletic director notice and reward your work? I did what, first of all, uh, everything um, that was asked of me, but I also owned and took initiative in a, in a lot of those particular things. Um, I wrote manuals. Um, I would try to find things that needed to be done that nobody else wanted to do. Um, and, and, and I did those. And, and when I did them, um, I made sure that I had the buy-in and feedback of everybody um, that it would possibly affect and touch. Um, and, and that's uh, an ability that I think a lot of young professionals still um, can advance based off of if you find that job, if you find that thing that nobody else wants to do and you commit and devote yourself to it and doing the tough job, then it's easy to be the person, you know, just walking around and smiling and waving um, later on. But it's really about just kind of grounding yourself to the work and just because uh, it, it's 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 a beauty in that particular struggle because you're going to learn some things when you're grinding and you're struggling like that, that either somebody else may not necessarily know a lot about or, or, you know, or it may be something that they may not be as polished on. So when you pick up those intangibles and going through your daily routine, you can become an expert on something. And once you become an expert at or own something, then you're, you're moving, you're moving at your own pace. So you make yourself indispensable. If people need you around, they will keep you around. Find a way to always be that person that can be counted on. Good, good advice. What has the career journey cost you? And what sacrifices should young professionals be prepared to make to achieve longevity in this industry? Um, I tell people all the time, if I had to, to do it all over again, um, I think one of the things that, that I think about as one of my greatest sacrifices is, is directly family time. Um, you know, for yourself, I mean, we all pretty much raised our kids uh, in the gym um, and, you know, they were always there and always playing with each other and being around each other. But as my daughter got in high school and began to get a little bit older um, and, you know, coming time to try to, you know, pick which college and all those other stuff, um, I was really, really on the move professionally. Um, so it, it was some times where I felt like that I could have done more um, to provide guidance and, and, you know, give her things that, you know, she either wanted or needed in that particular regard. Um, and just know that um, in, in this profession, um, it's in some instances, it's going to be the type of friendships you have. It'll be the type of relationships with your family members, it, everybody, whether they play the sport or not, will never understand what we do completely. If you're not in a profession, they will never understand what it takes to not only just be good, but to be great at your craft. I look at people like Dr. Ingrid Wicker McCree, who's, you know, on the verge of retiring. I look at everything that she put into it and and if she had to do it all over again, I think that her experience would be very similar to mine. Um, she she gave everybody a lot of herself. She gave other people's kids a lot of herself. Um, 
I look at Jennifer. She gave other people's families and kids a lot of herself. Skip, Ashley, they give people a lot of themselves. I mean, I even look at Melvin Hines, uh, who was the original AD when Jennifer and I arrived at Alabama State. Um, it, it's that family time. It's, it's, it's the, the most intimate moments. The best years of your life will be spent with these people that are, quote, family, friends and family, you know, in the sense of um, your job. And, and you'll be mentoring and pouring into other people's kids and families. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, we all look back and if we could do something a, a little bit different or a little bit better in that particular regard, it would be cherishing and spending that time with our families. You were at North Carolina Central for eight years. You were at Alabama mm -hmm. State for five years. How do you know when it's time to transition away from one role and take on the challenge of another? Um, I think, you know, it's, it's time to transition when you feel like, one, that you, you've worked toward leaving a situation better than you find it. Um, the next piece and knowing um, when it's time to transition, um, when you feel like that, um, that it may not be as fun as it, as it used to be anymore, or, you know, you lost a particular drive. Um, it's better to go ahead and, and kind of, you know, sub yourself out, as we say in the sports world. Um, and, and ultimately, um, I think, you, you know, when it's time to go in, in, in un, an unfortunate situ situation, when you feel like uh, your value um, is, is it taken um, at 100 percent, you know, if you feel like you're given 800 percent and, you know, the administration or you know, anybody that you're possibly working with that can be coworker, anybody may not be as committed to you as you are to it or them. Um, it may be time to, to go ahead and, and start finding somewhere that you, you can go and, and be comfortable and, and good with how you uh, are treated. By job title, it looks like you've taken a step back because you went from deputy director of athletics to assistant athletic director at Jackson State. Explain to our listeners why sometimes it's necessary in this profession to take a step back in order to be able to move forward. Yes, that, that is a, a true statement. Uh, but I feel like in, in my personal experience, um, I think that's not the case as much. Um, so the position that I serve in at Jackson State is a very unique opportunity um, because they are one of, of very few schools in our particular conference where the stadium um, and everything about it operate almost independently of the university. You know, you have your own separate budgets. I mean, you do your own, I'm everything. Uh, it, you're like on the island and on top of that, it's not on the campus. So it's maybe about three miles away from the heart of campus so it's like we operate, I may go on campus out of a month. Uh, I may go on campus maybe five or six times a month. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so that that's one of those things where it's so many other moving parts. It's like we're a, a athletic department within the athletic department. So um, I took it on as a challenge because those that know anything about um Mississippi uh, Veterans Memorial Stadium. Um, it's an older stadium, um, but it's a gym within its own right. 
And, you know, when you have worked at kind of some newer facilities and, and some not so new uh, along the way, um, you're always looking for that next challenge. Am I as good as I think I can possibly be? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, here's a challenge. Let me step to this challenge and see if I can elevate it. Um, uh, to be honest with you, too, I mean, I think the eyes of, of the whole country are on Jackson State uh, right now. Um, we're, we're having an awesome coach like Coach, coach Prime and, you know, we just uh, hired Mo Williams here and, you know, and and Tamika Reed is doing a wonderful job. And, uh, you know, our coach Omar is about to hit his 500 win in baseball. Like we have coaches that are doing some extraordinary things. Um, and to be a part of a team like that, I mean, it's, it's kind of like at that point selling tickets to the circus. Who don't want to go to the circus? Everybody <laughs> wants to be a part of the circus. Um, and, and, and those are the type of things that, um, administrators uh, would lunge at the opportunity to be a part of. Tell our listeners what work in stadium operations entails. Um, I, I alluded to a little bit earlier, but working in stadium operations, I mean, you are the show. You are what makes it tick. Um, you know, when you see um, everything that it takes to make a game happen, security, concessions, parking, I, I mean, everything, like fan accommodation, all of those type things all fall under stadium management. It, light bill getting paid, water bill getting paid, electricity. I mean, all of that falls under uh, stadium management. Is the grass cut? Are the bushes too high? You know, are they hitting regulation? Does the field need to be painted? You know, again, when you look at the totality of what it takes to operate and make an event, um, that whole stadium operation falls on you. Certain insurances, contracts, um, you know, insurances for your vendors, all of that type stuff, uh, emergency operation plans, weather emergency plans, all fall on the stadium. You mentioned Coach Prime, and I work with Coach Lou Holtz at South Carolina. So I have a little bit of experience of working with those very high-profile coaches. How do you manage his expectations? Um, To be honest, Coach Prime, he does have some very uh, high expectations, uh, as we all do for ourselves. The best way to uh, meet his expectations is just be a a pro and an expert at your job. Come to your job and win your job every day. If you you go in and you win what you were hired to do, I mean, he's A-OK in his book. I've had a one-on-one um, with, with Coach Prime and just talked to him about what what my vision was and all that. And he was on board with, with everything that, that I proposed to him on how I wanted to enhance our operations at the stadium and some of the new things that I wanted to introduce to our stadium. Um, the one thing that I do like about uh, our vice president and director of athletics, Ashley Robinson, is he thinks extremely big. Um, he thinks very big in stature. He thinks very big in everything that we do. And he is a person that hates losing. Um, so uh, with that, um, I kind of take on that same mantra, you know, with my marketing and my experiences and my fan experiences. And it feels just like, you know, I fit right in. And, you know, if you had a puzzle, you just waiting on one more piece. I feel like that I'm that that missing piece. And um, everything is, is going well. We're expecting everybody tomorrow. As a matter of fact, um, I've been doing um, stadium prep tomorrow because we 
uh, as a part of our blue and white, we, uh, we have a, a blue and white scrimmage tomorrow. Um, so, you know, we're, we're asking our fans and everybody to come on out with us and, and enjoy, get a chance to see the team and uh, Coach Prime, he'll be there live and direct. And you know he's going to be on social media. So um, we're really excited and um, it, it's going to be a great time. What is the best advice you have for young professionals who start to feel discouraged when they see their peers being promoted and their careers seem to be stagnant? I would I would tell them uh, to mentally throw the clock out of the window. Um, and, and when I say that, everything happens exactly when it's supposed to happen. Just because somebody's going to get a job or you feel like they're excelling a little bit quicker than you, you don't know their journey, you don't know their struggle. So you have to be okay with uh, walking in your own purpose because the gift and the reward that may be on the other side of things for you may be perceived as greater than what they may, may have received. Um, you know, I think uh, comparison will always be the theft of joy and, and you have to find ways to not only continue to win your, your particular day, but to pour and find ways professionally to enhance what you have. And when it all comes together, just right, you'll be right where you need to be. Great advice. Now it's overtime. overtime. Terrence, what book do you think aspiring sports administrators should read and why? A good book that I think uh, administrators should read is uh, Raising Good Humans. Um, that's a book by Hunter Clark, uh, Clark Field. So basically uh, that book is about... Um, raising uh, kids to have confidence um, and, and to be their true authentic selves and also ways to break reactive parenting um, in, in doing that. And um, it, you, you find a lot of aha moments uh, in that particular book, uh, as well as ways that you can, you can better and enhance uh, how you deal with that. I find that as um, tra a transferable skill because the same way you may work on parenting or making your your kids better humans, um, you'll find yourself kind of pouring yourself that same way into the student athletes that you're called to serve at your respective institutions. What app can you not live without and why? Um, and I'm strictly thinking about Jackson State. Um, if I had to have an app, uh, it would probably be... Uh, Instagram. Um, Instagram uh, is, is, believe it or not, still very fast, uh, fastly growing. And um, a lot of our fans really interact with us on, on, um, on Instagram. It helps uh, to, to have a person like Coach Prime who cranks out content nonstop uh, because, you know, if he mentions something about what we have going on or whatever, you can sometimes see where our website hits increase just based on something that he mentioned um, in certain things. And I think he went live earlier today. So uh, I'm sure everybody's talking about uh, whatever he was talking about on his live. What social media site should aspiring sports administrators follow? Um, I think a uh, social media site will probably be LinkedIn for young professionals. Um, LinkedIn um, is not only like a professional marketplace, but it's a way to kind of be on and put your best foot forward at all times. 
it's all types of recruiters and staffing people and people looking for the next great person for their organization on LinkedIn. And you never know who knows who. It's amazing to see sometimes when you look at who's connected on LinkedIn, who actually knows some of the same people you know uh, or what have you. And a lot of times when people are looking to make a hire or add someone to their team, more often than not, before the advertisement even goes out, they're going to talk to their network and say, hey, I got a position coming up. Do you know somebody that would be a good fit for us? You know me. You know who would be a good fit for me and what I'm trying to get accomplished. I get those requests all the time. You are so right. Terrence, what is your go-to inspirational quote? My go-to inspirational quote um, would probably be um, stay low and keep firing. Um, that uh, comes from a, a old notorious B.I.G. Uh, rap song, but it makes a lot of sense in, in the aspect of, of what we do. Um, you know, when the days when the sun isn't shining so bright, um, you still have to persevere and to keep putting your best foot forward. You got to keep putting the right in front of the left and the left in front of the right. And, and ultimately you'll get to where you're going. But if you stay low and keep firing and just kind of stay on the grind, you'll eventually get there. Terrence, thank you so much for joining us. You had a wealth of information to share and we really appreciate it. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that the notes you took from our guests will help you as you plan and build your career. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. View from the big chair, examining the cost to be the boss. I'm your host, Marlon Jones, and I thank you again for listening.